Thank you, Lord. Can we close our eyes and begin to pray and respond to the Lord? You know, he has spoken about the peculiar challenges faced by the young people. And the fact that the foundation is very, very important. If the foundation be destroyed, what shall these ones do? As parents, it's our responsibilities to lay these foundations, to bring them up first in the fear and admonition of the Lord, so that when they grow, they don't depart from it. Sometimes they may depart. Sometimes they may stray. Sometimes the trials may come. But the word of the Lord do not fall to the ground. No matter how far they stray, as long as we have sown the right seed, the Lord knows how to draw them back. Let's begin to repent in the way we have not done this as we are expected. He said, remember what I told you. There are specific instructions he has given us. As fathers, we are the prophets in our homes. We are meant to bless these ones. How many times have we called them to declare the blessing over their lives? We are always quick to correct, to rebuke. But the Bible didn't say beat them up in the word of the Lord. It said bring them up in the admonition. Have we given the admonitions? Or do we just flog them up? Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your admonitions. Lord, we repent in the ways we have failed you in this area. We cannot do it on our own. We ask that you help us. We ask that you help us. Accept you build their house in vain will we level. Help us to lay good foundations, Lord, to lead by good examples, to correct the ways we have not done well, so that these ones, when they look at us, they will learn to serve the God of their fathers and of their mothers in the name of Jesus. We submit ourselves to you this morning. In the next couple of minutes, I will be looking at your word. In the admonition that you are reminding us in times like this that you are the Lord and that you do not change. Lord, I pray that your word will come forth in simplicity. Let it come with power. Let it do a new work in our life. Let it speak to individuals personally. Let it minister to us collectively. Holy Spirit, have your way. We rebuke every bird and every spirit that steals the word of the Lord or distracts men. We bind your activities and we render them null and void in the mighty name of Jesus. Let the word bear fruit a hundredfold in our lives to the glory of your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. So, um, when I looked at this topic and um, I am the Lord, I change it not. And I also looked at the the text, okay, that was written where it was taken from, Numbers twenty three nineteen. I realized there's a problem, okay. The real text, I am the Lord, I change it not, should come from Malachi three verse six. I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. While from the text says, you know, the word oracle that Balaam gave to Balak, when he says, he told him, you know, the second time he was called to curse the Israelites, he told him that God is not a man that he should lie. 
Neither is he a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said any, a thing and does not bring it to pass? And does he ever promise and not make it come to pass? So I started wondering, is this, you know, I dwelt on this conflict. And then it dawned on me that what God had in mind to, you know, speak to us, I am the Lord. I change it not, it up. Now, he has a reason why he brought that, even though from what we read, we appear to have read elsewhere. And then we'll see how the two ties together. So, I'll briefly talk about the first charge, I am the Lord. And then the next one is that I change not. Then we'll quickly go to our text. But I trust God that in the um, time we will share, he will speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. So why, I ask myself, why is God telling us or reminding us that I am the Lord? Why that word, I am the Lord? Why does he choose to introduce himself in this context as the Lord and not the other names? We know the many other names he bears. But now in this context, he shows that name, the Lord. So I... I looked at the instances you know, where he started introducing himself like that to try to gain some understanding of what he may be trying to say. And that was what convinced me that he wants to tell us something about the now. So, let's open to Exodus 3 verse 15. I will take most of the readings because of time. Exodus 3 verse 15. You know, when God came to deliver the Israelites from Egypt... And send Moses. Moses asked him a question. Who, if they ask me who sent me, what shall I tell them? You know, who is this God? And in verse 15, God said also, I'm reading NIV. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, go to the same Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, and then verse 6. Exodus 6, 2 to 3, and then 6. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So when he came to deliver his children from slavery, he revealed his name. A new name to them, the Lord. Superficially, yeah, I know what the Lord should mean, but I didn't take it for granted. I looked again, and I saw an interesting definition. That it actually refers to a ruler by heredity or by preeminence. Mark the words, by heredity or by preeminence, to whom service and obedience are due. So sometimes God may manifest himself in ways where he comes more of showing love and care. 
But when he seems to come in this form, he comes to rule and to deliver. And at that instance, obedience and service to him as the king. So it seems that God is saying to us that I am the Lord. Even now, in the midst of all that has happened, and are still happening both at our personal levels and at a national level, he is the Lord and he is able to deliver. Praise the Lord. I have come to demand obedience and my will must prevail in Jesus' name. The scriptures say that the son, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name. And therefore, because he submitted himself to death, even death on the cross, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. That at this name, every knee must bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Remember, he is one with the Father from the beginning and he is actually in Revelation, called the Lord of Lords. And that same name he wrote on himself. Now, I will move to I change not. So, remember, bear in mind, when he comes with that name, it's not for negotiation. He comes with authority to demand obedience. He again said, I change not. And I, I know we sing songs. We call him the unchanging God. The unchangeable changer. It's not strange to us that he is known by that name, the one who doesn't change. But then, God does not waste words. Why again did he bring this and thought that we should discuss now to remind us that he changeth not? It dawned on me that this reminder is also timely in this era when men have started referring to truth as being relative. And also the relativity of truth is being justified. The iniquity abounds and the love of many are waxing cold. Coldness and lukewarmness has been accepted at different quarters as being normal. Moral standards are being lowered by the day. And those who seem to maintain the standard are being looked as doing too much. Or trying to show off, as we saw in the drama. So God is reminding us that in the midst of all this, in the midst of all the changes, in the midst of all that is happening, that He has not changed, and He does not change, and His standards will not change. Praise the Lord. You know, when we consider the events of the past couple of weeks in our nation, the rapidity of changes in government policies, the politics, the political outcomes, okay, the way some hopes we are dashed, and the whole thing that is taking place, we may also become tempted to think that God may have changed his mind about his promise in Nigeria. But brethren, he has come to remind us that he is the Lord, and he changeth not. His word for us still stands in Jesus' name. At our personal level, some of us, to us, God may be saying, remember what I told you. Remember my promise to you. Remember the covenant I gave you. Remember what I said you should be doing. 
in case you are no longer doing it, remember that I am the Lord and I do not change. Now we'll quickly move to our text and draw some lessons from there. I will spend time on the transaction between Balaam and Balak. There I would like to draw our attention, you know, to the life of a man who learnt the hard way, almost at the expense of his life, the oracle which he later uttered to Balak, which is actually where we took our text from in Numbers 23 verse 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind. Okay? Before he said that, Balaam was not like that. He actually thought that God could be persuaded to change his mind. God can be hoodwinked to change his mind. And we will see that. So let's quickly turn to um, Numbers 22. We will read um, verse 2 to 5. Then I will um, draw some lessons out from them. Numbers chapter 22, from verse 2 to 5. Okay, so I read. Now, Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that the Israel has done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So, Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, 5a, he says, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Boa, who was as Pethor near the river in his native land. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. This king was wise and knew the power of the supernatural over the physical. You know, sometimes when we wake up and we are quick to jump out and start doing so many things, it's because we do not understand that the spiritual actually controls the physical. That the race, we are racing to rush out and go and achieve much, can only be fruitful if the spiritual is covered. But this man, a pagan king, their God is Kemosh, okay, that they worship him more. He understood. And he knew, even though my surprise was, why didn't he call his priest, the priest of Kemosh, to come and curse the Israelites for him? He went out to look to someone, he may have had the fame about um, Balaam, that God speaks to him. So he called him to come and place a cross on these people because he knew for sure that if he can curse them, even though they are more powerful than him and his people, that once he can make the curse to rest on them, the rest is gone. They will be defeated. But then, I ask myself, what about us? What about us? And I'll come back to that question. God told him, okay, when he had come in verse 22, in chapter 22, verse 8, Balaam received the people he sent and told them to spend the night so that he would hear what God would tell him. 
Okay, and God actually came to him and said to him two things. So at first, he sought the face of God to hear what God would say. And God told him two things that you see in verse 12 of chapter 22. God told him, say to Balaam, do not go with them. So that's the first instruction God gave. And then he said, you must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. And then I asked myself, why are they blessed? Because if you read the history of the sojourning of the Israelites, okay, in the wilderness, you know that even God himself at some time said that these people are stiff-necked, okay, they are stiff-necked people. And many times they drove Moses far, okay. But God said, they are blessed. And I asked myself, what did they do to get this blessing? Is it because they were obeying so much? No, no. It's because of their origin, because of the petrites, because of their stock, where they came from. And similarly for us, why? For those of us that have run under the cover of the blood, that has accepted Jesus as our Lord, God also calls us the blessed. In fact, we are the blessing of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what he has done. But then remember that when Balaam was speaking, he said, when he, instead of uttering a curse, he started blessing and said that because God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob and no corruption has been found in them, and he started proclaiming blessing. So I asked, what of if there was iniquity? Then the curse will have rested. And then they will have been defeated. And so God is telling us as young people, as mothers, as fathers, even though we have come under his cover, it's important we know that there is a standard. And he said that this foundation of the law stands sure. Bearing this inscription that the Lord knows those who are his. And anyone who names the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. So we'll continue with this story. So Balaam obeyed initially. He refused to go with them and send them home. Then the king sent a more honorable group of princes, more in number, with the promise that they will give him handsome reward. And that comes where the lesson is for us. It now became a temptation to Balaam. And suddenly, he started thinking that God would change his mind. And see what he said. Okay? To see his, the thought of his heart in Numbers 22, um, 19 to 22. So I read from verse 19. So stay in that Numbers. We'll be drawing things from there. Now, he said to the people who had come, the second group, he said to them, now stay here tonight as others did. That's the first group that came. And I will find out what else, <laughs> what else the Lord will tell me. So he hadn't forgotten what God told him. He knew God said, do not go. And even if he wants you to curse them from here, do not place any curse on them. But now he's saying, let's find out what else. And he did his normal divination, okay? placed the seven sacrifices upon the seven altars and told Balak to stay there and went. And indeed, that night God came and said to Balaam, okay, no, he hasn't reached where he even did the sacrifice. He told them, wait, sleep like the others. 
And let me see what God will tell me. So in the night, God came and spoke to him and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I told you. But God, verse 22, says, But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. So, pause. Put yourself in his shoes. You went and prayed about a matter, and God told you that since these people have come, go with them. He will have rejoiced that he has obtained that what else that God would tell him. But he knew, as God will reference later, he was walking in disobedience. He was disobeying. He came with an idol because his mind was made up. He wanted the money. He wanted the handsome reward. And God answered him according to that idol. And that, there is the lesson for us and the danger. When we come to God on some crucial and important matters in our lives, when we come to God maybe for business discussions, over things we know by the teachings he has given us, the convictions in our hearts that these things are wrong. You know, as you feed on the word of God, as you feed on the word of God, you come to a stage where by reason of use, by feeling, I call it feeling, I don't know what some people call it, but you just know that this is wrong. I mean, you can't deceive yourself. But sometimes we may want to push it aside because of the gains we see. Okay? And then we go to prayer with that thing we have in mind we want to do to receive God's um, validation. So the danger is that he may give you a validation when he sees that you know the truth and what you will do. And you will be walking in error. And the danger of that error is that the angel came and stood on the way to kill him. This one is not even to warn him. Stood with the sword ready to cut him. If not that that donkey, you know, have um, his eyes open and saw what happened. Three times saved his life. And when he beat the donkey to see how merciful God can be and beat the donkey and God now opened his eyes to see what was happening. And, of course, he started apologizing. The angel asked him, why have you beaten this donkey these three times? After the donkey has even asked him some question, am I not the donkey you have owned all this while I've been reading? Or have I ever done this kind of thing? And he said, no. So the angel said in verse 22b to 23, said, I have come to oppose you because your path is reckless. One, in Amplify, he said, willfully obstinate. Obstinate, willfully means you know what you're doing and you're stubborn about it. So, he wasn't confused at all. He knew what to do. We know what God is demanding, but because we want to do that thing we want to do, we become stubborn and persisting and praying and fasting over a matter in our hearts. <laughs> in your child, a matter of a man that God is saying the other one. Okay? And he said a tenth thing. He said, your path is reckless, willfully obstinate, and contrary before me. If your donkey has not turned away, I will certainly have killed you by now. So we can see how risky it is to, to come to God with these kind of idols. So I pray for anyone, 
who is hearing my voice today, who is at the crossroads, you know, facing crucial decisions, sometimes it can really be difficult to obey God. But in your heart, you know what God is saying and you know what you should do. But you are engaged in intense prayer, trying to see if God will say another thing that is more favorable. I pray that God will give you the strength and the grace to resist the deception of the devil and say yes to God in Jesus' name. In Jude 11, God declared woe on false prophets who have rushed for profit into Balaam's error because they love the wages of wickedness. And mentioned that in Second Peter 2 verse 15. So an admonition for us is not to rush for profit because these things occur mostly maybe about who to marry, finances for men, business engagements, contracts for students, special centers. Some of these things, we know them. But God is saying, let's always pay attention to our hearts. Let's not rush for profit. Let's take time to inquire from the Lord with an open heart. Let's not ignore those convictions he has put there. Because it is through those inward witnesses that he guides his children. When he said, I will come to you, I will not leave you as orphans. The coming he comes is in that his word that he puts alive in your heart. So that in those difficult moments when everybody will have been confused, somehow, somehow, you have this peace or lack of it. Okay, lack of it telling you that's not the way to go. The real peace telling you, oh, you are in the right direction. As we begin to conclude, I want to remind us that the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, that the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn from wickedness. Even though I, we, I'm supposed to speak more on the issue of, I am the Lord, I change not. But there's another I, change, I, am, I am the Lord that you know, has been strong on my heart. And that's, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God's, you know, there's a song we sing, I am the Lord that healed thee. I am the Lord that healed. I sent my word and healed your disease. I am the Lord your same Lord who comes to deliver, to exert authority, not to negotiate with sicknesses or things when he comes in that name, is also saying that he is the same Lord who heals us. And I will give a brief story, okay? I just pray I'm able to do that in five minutes. When I finished um, from school, did um, house job, did youth service in Adamawa, came back. I, um, to, uh, there was an advert in UNTH um, in Pepfra Clinic, that's the HIV clinic there. I went for the interview, got the job, then we were sent for a training. 
sent for a training, um, a two-week training in Lagos, or three weeks, to understudy some other sites, because our site was being activated for the first time, and we are the pioneer doctors there. So we went as a group with the nurses and some other people to work in three other sites in Lagos doing what we will be um, starting in our site. So where I was lodged, we were lodged, I noticed one of the days we came down to eat that you see this fecal droplet, rat feces, what looks like rat feces around the restaurant. And I had made one observation that they will usually keep their plates up. When, you know, some, some of them, when you come to the kitchen, you see where they pack things. I noticed they, they will keep it this way. So I corrected them. And the day I noticed those rat feces, I made up my mind I won't be eating there anymore. Some of you who know about Lassa fever <laughs> knows what okay, can come from them. Not knowing, uh, I didn't know I had been exposed already. So we came back for the training about 10 days after that. I went to Onisha because my people stayed on Onisha. And I worked there before going to youth service. So I and, um, came back, stayed just one day, came back to Enugu to where I was staying. And started having this feeling. I, look, I remember vividly that I was trade fair around that time. I was staying in GRA, not far from the trade fair place. So... One day I went for the trade fair. As I was coming back, I felt these aches all over my body. I mean, terrible aches. And one thing was funny to me, because the ache was so much on my waist, that I started thinking to myself, <laughs> this one, I'm having waist pain. Those that understand evil know what I mean. How old am I that I should be having waist pain, okay? So I made fun of it, went home. The next day, the people I was staying with, the mother, noticed some red spots and rashes at my back, on my back. I didn't see that. So he asked me, Frank, what's this rash on your body? Why is your body red? And I looked at myself and noticed it was red. By then, fever had started and I was taking um, anti-malaria, thinking I had malaria. Then when I saw that rash, I knew that was trouble. So, um, but then the night before, I woke up to go and ease myself. I couldn't get up from the bed where I was lying because we dropped um, a mattress on the, on the floor where we sleep. It was as if I had no strength at all. I couldn't get up. Ha. I tried, I stood, I, I, I sat there for, for almost 10 minutes trying to get up from the bed, from the mattress, and I couldn't. And I asked myself, what's happening to me? So I typed on the guy staying beside me, okay, Olisa, his name, and I asked him, please help me to get up. I want to go and urinate. The guy looked at me, what is happening? Thank you that you can't get up from bed again. He just relaxed. I told him, please help me, I can't get up. <laughs> so he helped me. I went eat myself, then sat on the dining. I was afraid. I didn't want to go sit down again. I mean, lie down again, because I don't know what will happen if I lie down the second world. <laughs> so I sat on the dining till morning. It was now in the morning that the mother saw that rash on my body, actually, and asked me about it. So that was when I knew this is beyond malaria. So I called some doctor friends, called the consultants I knew that may know about all this, told him, okay, I tried to check my pulse to know why I was feeling weak, and I couldn't feel any pulse. 
I searched and searched and searched. I didn't. I could. I said, ah, ah, "Is it that I don't know how to check pulse again or what?" So I called the doctor. He told me, um, "Do I have anybody to bring me?" I said, "I can call people." So I called some friends. They came round, took me to his house because it was on a weekend. So took me to his house. He checked my BP, 60 over 40. He saw what was on my body, the rash and all that, asked me questions and told me that he thinks I had a viral illness. Sent me to Pinox for admission there. They started doing some blood workup. By the next day, it was getting worse. They moved me to UNTH and I was admitted. In the, there was, the isolation was a private ward. I was given a private ward to stay in. So, and there the story began. The clinical conditions was declining fast. They called, the, of course, this, because he's a colleague, everybody was running around, running helter-skelter, trying to save my life. By then, I was being carried on wheelchair because I couldn't walk. I was so tired that I couldn't stand to walk around. So, they ran some investigation, two samples to, to Lagos, um, one prep formula in um, loose to check if it's Lassa fever. Before then, one, of, one doctor who was very renowned around here in Lassa examined, did all that and felt strongly it was Lassa and said I should be started on drugs because the earlier you start the growth, the better the prognosis. They started on the medication, ribavirin, and that was one of the most horrible drugs I've ever taken in my life. As it's going in, it's burning the veins. You literally feel the pain. And every now and then, my tissues, will, my veins will tissue. Tissue means if you set the drip, it won't move again because it has blocked. And this went on for one week. I was there. Second week. And all this while, I couldn't pray because I was even too tired to think, not to even remember that I should pray. They will this one will teach you, they will move here, they will move to my leg, they will move to the calf, they will, and then they were considering um, getting it into my bone. Okay, when almost literally every vein they try to set the drip on tissue. And at that time, I was tired. Very tired of the whole treatment. I told them, one day they came for ground rod, I told them I want to go home, that I'm tired. They laughed at me. Do you think it's because we are a doctor we will decide you? <laughs> that you stay here until you're fever free for three consecutive days. And I was running fever continuously. They had given antibiotics, given everything. The fever still persisted. So that evening, that, this thing happened on a Monday. So in the evening of the next day, or was it that day, my brother had my phone and was playing tune on to Cosmol FM. Then there was Cosmol FM, so it's been quite some time. And somebody was preaching. Um, some of you might know Pastor Banky in UNTH. Then he teaches on um, um, this thing, on Cosmol FM. So he was teaching. And for the first time, I heard the word of God in a long while, all through those travail. Okay? And as I was listening, it was as if strength was coming. That's when I understood this thing. I sent my word. And I'll use it to address the issue of healing, the importance of the word of God in dealing with that. So I was like somebody who has been starved for a long time that I couldn't stop listening. I was glued to that phone. The message stopped. I told my brother to bring my... Because he was the one nursing me in the hospital. 
you know, my younger brother. So I told him to bring my laptop. Incidentally, I usually, I usually have messages on my laptop. So I told him where to go to and start playing the messages there. So the messages will play from this one, enter this one, play this one, enter that one. He got tired. Usually he is the one that usually will feed me at night, help me to bath before we sleep. But that night I didn't want to do any of those. I was just engrossed in the world. I told him he kept being awake, trying to stay awake for me to finish. But I couldn't finish. So I kept devouring the world and I told him, don't bother, sleep. I will take care of myself. So I kept listening and listening. I don't know how many hours I did that, but I know from four that he usually preached. Till around seven, I was still listening. And in the midst of that, I heard inside myself, lay hands on yourself and pray for yourself. So I started praying, started blasting in tongues, kept praying. I couldn't stop. Pray, pray. No. When I was listening, I heard pray for yourself. So I started praying in tongues. Prayed for a while, and then in my spirit, I felt I should lay hands on myself and pray for myself. Now, by that, it was entering the second, third week, and um, all those red rashes had all coalesced together and peeled off. So I had wounds all over my body. Big bed sore on the back, they were dressing on my feet, and so they were treating and also dressing wounds on my body. So I kept praying until I felt it's okay. So I ate my food. I didn't bother bathing. Took um, the little drugs I had to take and slept. In the morning, the nurse came, who would usually dress the wounds. They usually would start um, um, with the one at my back. So when she opened it, she screamed. I said, why are you shouting? Are you not the one that I've been dressing this when He said, what happened to you? That the wound has dried. I said, what do you mean? I touched my back. Because it was still covered with the gauze they used the previous day to dress it. She removed that gauze and screamed. So I touched it. I couldn't feel the fluid you usually feel there. <laughs> Pressed it. I wasn't feeling pain. You know, that was when I knew. Before, if, maybe if I was left to pray for myself and pray in understanding. Maybe what I'll be asking God is to help me so that this thing will heal in one week, in two weeks, in three weeks. Okay, But I didn't know that things could be sped up to impossible level like that. I touched there, nothing. Then I looked at the ones, because those are the two big ones here and here. I looked at there, the wounds all closed up, but it was still red. But the exudation you would normally see were not there. <laughs> I was still observing myself. <laughs> you know this kind of thing, if you're wondering, is this, this happening to me? So... And then, that day, no fever. That's, this was now Wednesday, okay? Wednesday, no fever. Thursday, no fever. Friday, when they came to Grand Round, they checked my chart, and there was no fever. They checked everything, checked the drug, asked me how I was feeling. I told them I'm fine. And they wrote the discharge. That week. But even though I couldn't leave the hospital because the paperwork that has to be done and all that. So, what am I going to? I am the Lord that healed thee. I sent my word and healed your disease. So many times when we are hit below the belt with sicknesses, you know, it's, it's one of the most painful periods and we are down and discouraged and you find out you can't even pray. 
But the truth is that the most effective thing to do at that time is still his word. Somehow, if you can't put it, let someone put it for you. However you feed on it, feed on it. It has a way of recharging the spirit. It has a way of firing you up. Okay, to come to that point of sonship where you do, you know, you start doing what you're supposed to do. So I'll quickly conclude. First Corinthians 8 verse 6 says, Yet for all there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, and through whom we live. Then write down Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. And my question is, have you really accepted him as Lord? Sometimes we accept him as Savior but not as Lord. But he's asking, am I the Lord of your life? In John 1.12, he said, Yes, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. Let's close our eyes and begin to pray. There is no holy as the Lord. There is no besides thee, neither is there any role as the Lord. There is no. pray two prayers. One is for those who are saying to the Lord come and rule as Lord over my life. Come and save me from my sins. I call upon your name today. Come and rescue me. Say that as many as call upon his name shall be saved. But you have to call. You have to be the one doing the calling. Incidentally, he is at the doors of our hearts knocking. And if anyone of us will hear and open, he will come and sup with us. Is there anyone here who is saying to Jesus, I am tired. I am tired. I need your help. Jesus, son of David, come and save me. If that is you, please put your right hand on your chest and repeat this prayer after me. He has promised that whoever calls on his name shall be saved. And if we declare with our mouth his lordship and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for dying on the cross to pay the price for my sins. You have become the curse for me so that I will have access to your blessing. I invite you into my life today to come and do what only you can do.
the weight of my sins are heavy upon me. I call on you, Lord Jesus, to save me today. Wipe away my sins by your blood. Remove my name from the book of death and transfer it into your book of life. I declare with my mouth today that you are the Lord of my life. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead for my justification. I thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me your child. I am born again. Thank you for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And Lord, as many as has prayed this prayer for you, say that you are the one who sees the heart and searches the mind. As many as have opened up unto you. Lord, strike out their names from the book of death and transfer into your book of life. Put your spirit in them to make them according to your promise, new people. Empower them to live above sin and to serve you in the mighty name of Jesus. And then the second group is those who are sick in any part of their body. Remember, God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And actually, he has taken the stripe that assures that healing for us. Complete. And the price for our healing and even for our health has been paid by him. So, lay hands on that place as I make this prayer. Believe his word and you will receive your healing right there. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the healing we have through the stripes of your son Jesus. Thank you because you are the Lord who do not change and you are a covenant-keeping God. Thank you because this is the reason why Jesus was manifested to destroy all the works of the devil. And all who came to him, he healed and did not turn any back. And so, Lord, because healing is the bread of your children, we declare your word of healing over anyone here who is under the yoke of any sickness. Whether it is in your heart, in your knee, in your eyes, we rebuke that yoke right now to be broken from your life in the name of Jesus. Let healing, let the healing unction of the Lord flow over that ailment right now. Let the power of the Lord hit that sight and produce supernatural healing that only the Lord can do. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word is dependable. We thank you, Lord, for healing us and feeding us with this bread. Blessed be your name for hearing our prayers. Be thou exalted. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And most we God, 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 God.